Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. And I agree with his point of view. And the greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost. Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joe Milios. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you. episode we're going to meet Paul, a wonderful young man who over the last six or seven years has had so much happen to him. This included a diagnosis of prostate cancer at 45 years of age, the challenging problems of his penis as things began to change not long after, a diagnosis of Peyronie's disease, heart issues and heart surgery, a sore back, an introduction to yoga with me and then the ongoing pursuits for the perfect penis been through so much but along the way he's always been so generous to share his time his thoughts and his body and to be honest without him I wouldn't have ever done any work in Peroni's disease and my recently published publication on the use of therapeutic ultrasound in Peroni's disease is all because of him. We have so much to learn from Paul and this one podcast and so many things relevant to men's health so I can't wait to share his story. Silence is gold and precious and pure like treasure waiting to be found. It's there underneath all the crap that we speak. Just gotta put these phones down. Now your comfort zone. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Milios, and we're lucky enough to have with us today a wonderful uh, young man by the name of Paul. And Paul was actually one of my most favourite patients to ever work with, but he's had a kaleidoscope of problems over the last six years. But he's sitting here with us this afternoon and we're delighted to have a really positive story to share with you. And uh, we're going to firstly say a big hello to Paul. How are you doing today, Paul? Great, thank you. Yeah. What have you been up to today? Work. Work. What sort of work do you do? I'm a carpenter. Carpenter. So let's go back to 2014 when we met and that was way back in April. And you'd just recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer and we had about a five-week window between you having your um, operation and me seeing you as a physiotherapist for some pelvic floor training. Now, at the time, you might not remember this, Paul, but you talked to me about having a very weak bladder. And in fact, you said you were going to the toilet about 15 times a day to empty your bladder and that you had this problem of urgency. So you, you said to me, you really had to know where the toilet was. So we spent a little bit of time at that stage in trying to get your pelvic floor muscles nice and strong, but also we did something called bladder training. And then 
very quickly, you when I tested you on the ultrasound and we did some um, pelvic floor muscle tests, you showed some fantastic improvement within just a couple of weeks. So when you went into the surgery um, in May, about five weeks later, you would have had um, about a week or two with a catheter. Do you remember that time, Paul? Yes, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you remember about that operation time. The, the operation? Yeah. Yeah, the operation was horrible. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then just basically after the, the operation, having the catheter, yeah, it was, yeah, very hard, very hard. And why, what, can you explain that a little bit more? It was horrible, it was very hard. What, what do you remember? Just not knowing whether or not you'd get control of your bladder again. So it was like psychologically yep. challenging for you? Yep. And do you remember when your catheter did get taken out, did that hurt? No. No, it didn't. Okay. And then when the catheter got taken out, do you remember how the first few days were, how, how your bladder was sort of behaving? It was, um, probably very, very weak. Like um, a sneeze, a cough, a laugh. Yeah, it was, it was just basically... It was an accident waiting to happen. And and do you recall, was it like a, a big flood of urine or was it more like little spurts and squirts? Um, just more little spurts and squirts. When the, when the catheter was first taken out, I was kind of under the impression that you would have to constantly hold urine back. Yeah. Whereas it wasn't like that, if you know what I mean. Like you didn't, you weren't constantly wetting yourself. Mm. It was a sudden movement, a sneeze. A laugh, but yeah, it didn't take much. Okay, so that's what we call stress urinary incontinence. And once the prostate's been removed, that's probably the most common thing that I see with guys. And it tends to be related to what we call intra-abdominal pressure increasing. So when you do go to bend or sneeze or um, go from sitting to standing, there tends to be a downward pressure that's above what the pelvic floor muscle is strong enough to cope with. Well, literally that's because the prostate before the surgery used to automatically actually control all of that. And then it's a case of being on your L plates for a while while your pelvic floor learns to adjust to no prostate. And that becomes like a, a manual task after that. Now, in, according to my notes, Paul, you actually recovered really quickly. And although it's six years ago, I can actually hear that you remember it very clearly. And you were dry at night pretty quickly and out of pads pretty quickly. It was only a few weeks it needing incontinence pads. Yeah, it was. It was very quick. It surprised me quick, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I was really surprised how, how quick I got control back. And, and Paul did so well, in fact, that I didn't really need to do much physiotherapy with him at all. But you had a bit of a strange thing going on. Your PSA came back not quite zero. Do you remember that? Your PSA is your prostate-specific antigen, a blood test that we like to check in to make sure the prostate cancer has been cleared. So tell us a little bit about what was happening with that PSA, Paul. PSA, well, to begin with, my PSA after surgery was 0 0.01. Mm -hmm. And then basically we were getting tested every three months after that. And, and basically every th after every three months, you're 0 0.01, yeah, 0 0.02 then 0 0.04 we've got the numbers just, here yep. actually mm. and just yeah and it just kept kept just kept on rising and every every time the PSA I don't know what do you call it PSA paranoia every time <laughs> I like that yeah, we like yeah. that I, yeah. I used to call it PSA anxiety but paranoia fits yeah, in PSA, with our yeah. P topic much mm. better yeah. PSA paranoia so it's just like 
dreading the dreading the blood tests. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dreading that that high reading because every time the PSA reading goes up, there's you feel like there's more chance that the, can the cancer spread. And yeah, yeah. Until it basically got to the point where it was 0 0.08, which was then they were saying, well, look, it, it's possible to spread. Might have to investigate further. So did you have any more treatment after that, or what happened then? What happened then, very, very luckily, is I went for a CT scan mm -hmm. um, of my chest, and um, we stumbled, doctor stumbled across the wall, just, just by luck. Um, they found that I had a 90% blocked artery. In your heart? In my heart, yes. Mm. So um, I got that. I got that, you know, you go and have a CT scan and then you make a doctor's appointment, mm -hmm. you know, in, in like the next week. Well, then I, I got a phone call at five o'clock in the evening from my, my, my doctor's surgery saying, oh, you know, a doctor would like to see you. I was like, it's okay, I've got an appointment in a couple of days. And they're like, no, he needs to see you now. Right, so that would have been and a bit freaky. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was very scary. And obviously, you know, the first thing, the first conclusion I jumped to was cancer. Yeah, because you were being investigated mm -hmm. for it, um, a lung tumour potentially because your PSA was going up, you mentioned, yes. and they yes. found that heart issue by accident. They just basically, yeah, it's just stumbled across a heart issue in which, yeah, and, and that was, yeah, that was not a 90% blockage. Now, at this point, so you were 45 when you had your prostate cancer surgery. This was two years later when you were 47. 47 yeah. So extremely young to have both of these situations. So mm. what was the treatment for that, for the heart condition? Basically, it was um, straight to hospital. And that basically was treated like an emergency, mm -hmm. um, straight to hospital, and had a, had a stent. A stent put in. A stent and so in. you're like the bionic man, aren't you? Everything's being rebuilt. I was, in a way, when you think of it, I mean, I was very lucky that they were searching for cancer and, and stumbled across the heart. Yeah. Because the heart, like they said, they, they couldn't believe that I hadn't had a heart attack. Wow. It was because, you know, I was going to the gym six days a week. So can I ask you a question about that? Did you had you noticed prior to the prostate surgery? Mm -hmm. Had you noticed any change in your erectile dysfunction? Erectile function. Uh, function, not dysfunctional. Yet, had you noticed any change? Like, had your erections <laughs> gone off before you had the prostate surgery? No. Oh, okay. Because no. that's another interesting. The reason I ask that is because mm -hmm. quite often when people have blockages of their heart arteries, they've got problem. They've noticed okay. problems with their erections like right. twelve yeah. months, two yeah. years before they've found that. So that's like yeah. a bit of a of a warning sign. So I just wondered if you'd noticed any change. No, no, no. I can't say I noticed anything. No. Yeah. So really, there was no symptom no. at all. And at work, when you were doing heavy lifting and everything, no shortness of breath or anything. No. So no. there's blocked no. artery and no symptoms. Blocked artery. Uh, in hindsight, um, I. I used to think it was anxiety. Mm. I'd feel like I'd get a flushery feeling in, in, in my chest, and it was more, I think it was more stress yeah. that kind of brought that on because I was always very, very physically fit. Mm. You were so it, fit because you yeah. were like, I'm going to the gym. Within um, four weeks of surgery, Paul was back working the gym moderately, but yeah. you know. Well, one of the first things that I did too, might, might sound bad, is that to, to get back to the gym because of the, the bladder control. One of the first things I did is I went back and started doing water aerobics. Yeah, mm. that's that, not and bad. And that's awesome. Water aerobics because so with, with the water aerobics, you could strengthen up all the muscles of your pelvic and, floor. And were there mostly ladies in the in yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> ladies yeah. in the in the yeah, class? Was, so the that only, was okay. I was the only young guy there. Well, that's and all right. I just jumped that's in right. there and just yeah started. Think, well, the thing, what we were, I didn't want the prostate cancer to stop me from being you from being me. No, yeah. like I was, 
I was I was going to the gym. I was working before the cancer, and it was just mm. yeah, really important yeah. for you to retain. It, it you. was. It yeah. was. Yeah. Like yeah. And well, because a, a lot of guys too, once once they've been through that, they they let the bladder control control them. Mm. And yeah. so once you had the stent done, did mm. you find that that fluttery anxiety kind of feeling went away? In yeah, your heart? Yeah, I think so, yeah. 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 I, I can guess, actually... I did, yeah, because I did. It used to be quite a distinct, and it used to worry me. Mm. And like I say, and I did go to the doctors and, and talk about it, and we did talk about antidepressants and things like that, but I didn't really want to go down that road. Mm. So I, so I, resist, mm. I resisted the urge to, to go and see any kind of antidepressant. So obviously it wasn't anxiety at all. It was heart, it was, a blocked yeah, it artery. Was, it was heart yeah. problems, yeah. And okay. I distinctly remember, mm. and it's in your notes, because we've got extensive notes, you said, I feel great. I feel like a different person, and I don't have any of this anxiety, fluttery mm. feeling. You actually it's said it changed relaxed. my life to yeah. actually have my heart working. Mm. So that brings us to the the topic of the day the topic of the day is so um paul was um let's say a younger patient with better penile blood flow from the outset preoperatively and he's already mentioned that he even with a heart condition there wasn't any um erectile dysfunction going on so paul basically got out of his pads within just a couple of weeks his continence was fine and then i encouraged him to go and work with a sexual health um physician to get um, access to medications and something we call penile rehabilitation. And that the goal of that is to try and make sure that we um, get that erectile function recovery um, starting to basically kickstart. Now, typically we start with medications, but then we often move to injections. Do you remember that whole um, initial consultation with the sexual <coughs> health doctor? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yep. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, went, went to the doctor and... I can't remember how. Was it like three weeks after surgery? I'm not too sure. Um, it was within about um, six weeks of surgery. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. And um, yep. And then it was yeah to with erections and and basically. So did he start you on a pump? No. No, you never used no. a pump. No. Okay, never so used pump. so you never in, used in a pump. Like, that was a big yeah. mistake. Yeah. So you so you were, went and saw him. You didn't use a pump. No. Did he start you on like a daily dose of any kind of medication, like Cialis or Viagra or anything? Cialis like that? was was taken. I think Cialis we more or less took. Um, Sorry, straight, uh, everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did Cialis might started taking Cialis? Yeah, fairly soon after surgery. Yep. And um, yep. Yeah, so the, yeah, prescribed the Cialis and then I, an injection. Okay, so you you didn't do a pump, you just went straight to went Cialis and injections. And an injection, yeah. yeah. And how did your first test injection go? Um, it nearly brought me to tears. It hurt? It, yeah, yeah, it hurt a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the problem with it was is that it, it, gave, it gave me such hard an erection for so long, it just became... Yeah. Painful, and, and so then and it got, got to the point where I just wanted. It was great, you know, when I, when I got the erection. I was like, oh wow, you know, what I mean, I can actually get the erection. Works. It, yep. it works. Yep. But then it was just like, when is this going to go away? Yeah, uh, sure. It's, so then, yeah. I mean, I've I've had a look, and you were mm. prescribed Prostin because you weren't my patient. Just mm -hmm. to clarify, um, so you were. I actually wasn't doing this job back then. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, so you were given Prostin, and Prostin sometimes causes that pain. Did you then try a different type of medication, or you stayed on that and just reduced no, the dose? I, I had a talk to him about it, and um, basically what it was, it was just um, 
he reduced the dosage. Yeah. And um, and I was, I was I was instructed how to inject myself. Not the most comfortable thing to do at all. Were you using an auto injector, or were you just doing it straight it with a needle? Straight with a needle. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, and then after a while, used the auto injector. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't I didn't really find the auto injector any easier. Okay. It was um, just too sudden and. There's, you need to try and avoid veins and that as well. And with the, mm-hmm. the auto injector, I, I found that harder. Okay. Yeah. And so um, then what happened next? Because you developed an issue, didn't you, down the track? Yeah. So what happened is that I was given the injections and like was no pump, but he said um, three times a week. Mm. And inject yourself three times a week. Um, and I was still finding it uncomfortable because of the directions were lasting so long so then they kept on reducing the dosage mm-hmm. and um, then after, after a while I noticed quite a, I was getting quite a bend in my penis. So the first few times you injected you didn't have the bend the no. bend went after and were you changing the spot that you injected yes. into yeah. okay you yeah, were yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah change locations yeah from side to side and, and went mm-hmm. away from the high to lower and yeah and yeah and um yeah, and then, yeah, basically I started to develop a, a bend. Now, which way was the bend? Because this is interesting. If you've got a female okay. partner and it goes straight up, it's all good. And bend if it goes off. sideways, it's not. The bend was off to the left. Yeah. And it was actually rotated yeah. upwards yeah. to about 75 degrees yeah. to the left back then. Uh, yeah, was, yeah. yeah, a bend, yeah, a bend with a twist to it. Yeah, mm. so that's yeah. not yeah. a good bend. No, no. and extremely painful. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, extremely painful to the point where I just couldn't, I couldn't, yeah, the idea of just doing the injections anywhere. Of course. Lately. And at any stage so, in this journey, was a pump recommended? No. no. Okay. Not not until I saw Joe. Right. Um, okay. It kind of got to a point where I was, I was quite lucky, very lucky, that I was seeing Joe. So just to clarify, because this mm. was back in 2014, if you mm. were to have this now, like from a penile rehabilitation program, I mm. think, and the research shows that the best option is low-dose medication, like you were taking a pump at least three days a week, preferably every second day. Mm-hmm. And then injections are for when you want to have intercourse. Exactly, yeah. And the yeah. pump, you know, perhaps, and who knows, because some people mm-hmm. are just predisposed mm-hmm. to getting Peronis, which is what you have with that bend. But just so mm-hmm. that you know that, you know, if you had have used a pump, that might have may have been an unavoidable issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, I'm, I realise that now. Yeah. I'm really not happy about it, yes. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know I mean, Putting a needle into the side of your penis three times a week isn't a sustainable solution. No. It, it's not. I mean, it's not something. Certainly not if it's it, not for sexual activity. Exactly. You know, exactly. and you can get the same result from using a pump and just use yeah. the needle for activity. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so moving forward to 2020, as Melissa just said, it's it's a little bit different, and we're we're probably a lot more conservative. Um, but what happened with um, Paul was that he actually knocked on my physiotherapy clinic door one day quite distressed and um this was totally out of the blue because i'd actually discharged paul from my care because he was fantastic he was working with a sexual sexual health doctor and um had that um complete recovery of consonants and, and at that stage i wasn't doing as much education in the sexual side of it because we were still really learning about the robotic technique and learning about the nerves bearing techniques and things were just changing quite rapidly and in fact my role was at that time mostly to work with consonants but i quickly learned that most men were really keen to get their sexual function up and um, 
basically up and at him again as quickly as possible. So when um, Paul knocked on my door and he produced a photo with this um, bend in his penis, he, he was actually very distressed. And as I recall, you actually thought that your, your cancer might have recurred because you'd also felt that lump and you'd had your PSA changing all over the place. So it was a pretty distressing time. And um, that's when we started you on the vacuum pump. Yeah. And then I was actually doing studies at the time in, in um, looking at PhD research developing programs for a better prostate cancer recovery in the pelvic floor muscle training. And I happened to be on my way to America for a family holiday. And I made a, a connection with a physiotherapist by the name of Dr. Sandy Hilton in Chicago, because my um, husband's family were from there. We went out for dinner and I said, I've just had this lovely patient come back and see me. And he's developed this curve in his penis, you know, six to eight months after his a radical prostatectomy. I'm going to look into it, but have you ever seen anything like this and know anything in physiotherapy that might help? And Sandy said, well, yes, Joe. I used to work in the military and um, we used to get the occasional guy come in with a penile trauma. And we actually just did everyday therapeutic physiotherapy ultrasound directly to that um, plaque or that tender area, and it seemed to soften everything up and resolve it. So I would highly recommend you look into that. So I came, came back. In fact, I think I was looking into the Google Scholar and various things while I was over in America and found that in 1983 there'd actually been research where uh, urologists had used uh, this therapeutic ultrasound on this Perini's problem and seen 70% of the time that it that actually helped resolve it. So what did we do? I, we came home, or I came home from America. I got um, Paul to go and have a Doppler scan, a penile Doppler scan. Um, we didn't put an injection into the, that for that one. We just did a a glide over the penile tissues with an ultrasonographer and he actually I have your report right here he actually disclosed that there was um, Peroni's disease confirmed with a deviation to the left and that there were multiple small foci areas of calcified plaque involving the tunica and you had a large plaque about three and a half millimeters in the middle of the um, shaft of the penis so we straight away went to work on doing this therapeutic ultrasound as uh, Sandy had uh, recommended. And do you remember all that? How did it all feel? And was it kind of challenging for you, Paul? Yeah, well, the, the lumps, the lumps were quite distinct. You could feel, you could definitely feel the lumps. Yes, and the, the therapy? Yeah. The therapy, I, I suppose, therapy? It wasn't, no, it wasn't uncomfortable at all. No, so no. it wasn't painful? No, it wasn't, no. And um, what I worked out from Sandy's guidelines or recommendations, it wasn't really any established research, but she suggested um, to do a little protocol doing the ultrasound um, five days a week for the first week, four days, no, three days a week for the second week, two days a week for the third week, and one day for the first week. So I, I worked out that was 11 sessions, and we, we actually saw you three times a week for four weeks. Yep. Then we went back and we did an ultrasound scan, that same Doppler scan, and the whole problem... Do you remember what had happened? It, it, it gone, yeah, yeah. And when you got an erection after that, was it straight? It never returned to fully straight. Mm -hmm. um, it, and another one too was it, even before the surgery, before all that, it, it always had a bend to the left. Okay. It was never, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it never was Well, straight. you do have to dress right but, or left, don't you? Yeah. You can't just dress and, in the middle. But what it was more than anything is that before the ultrasound therapy, it was very, very painful in that direction. Mm. Plus what it would do, it was that week, it would actually fold back on itself. Uh -huh. Whereas after the ultrasound therapy, it was 
a lot stronger. Yes, right. yes, okay. it was a lot stronger, and and the bend was pretty much nothing compared to what it was. I mean, mm. it was, like it was before before the the therapy, it was more or less a ninety degree bend. But it pretty much bent back on itself. Did you continue to inject after Joe gave you the therapy, no, or you no, stopped I and you never, started getting I, your own erections again? Yes. Yeah, oh wow! Yeah, great. I, I never went back to injections ever again. And you no. didn't need to, obviously. No, no. Fantastic. No. And and um, what basically happened then was I went to my physiotherapy or actually my exercise physiology um, supervisors at the University of Western Australia and I said, I've had this case that's slightly unusual and I'd really like to um, explore this because the ultrasonographers at the um, radiology clinic have never seen this happen. He was shocked. Wasn't he, he was shocked. He, he was shocked. When he, did, when he did the second scan, he could not, and he, he looked, he could not find, yeah, even the calcified yep. little mm. foci flux were gone. Isn't it? And, yeah. and he said, Joe, you're onto something. Let's mm. let's get more men and see if we can do the same. And basically he said, I've worked in this field for 25 years and I've never seen that happen before. And then we managed to get three or four other guys and we did a little case study series and it happened again and again and again. Not to the same extent or as quick as you were. And I always think that's because of your young age and because we act actually gone into it quickly. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, because I didn't, yeah, I, as soon as I know I said the problem, I, I came and saw you. And at the time, were you using the pump whilst you were having the ultrasound therapy? Yes. And how many times yeah. a week were you using that? I was trying to use the pump as, if, as often as I could, really. Mm-hmm. A yeah. daily. We suggested yeah. daily at Great. that time. Yeah. But, yeah. but the first pump that I actually got prescribed for you wasn't really that satisfactory because you, even though you had the the um, erection extending the penile length extending it was folding back in wasn't yeah, it yeah it was actually hard to get the pump to to get my penis into the pump and and to, to get the vacuum and yeah so mm-hmm. then along I went to a um, course in the UK where I was actually teaching with a colleague um, Jared Green and uh, they had a representative from the, from the um, company I met it and they actually had a soma correct pump which was a pump a vacuum pump with a cylinder that you place inside to literally straighten out yeah. the the bend whilst under vacuum pressure. It's the only one in the world I've actually come across and I've actually ended up doing a random control trial where we actually only used the ultrasound um, and we compared that to um, men who were not receiving treatment. We did a delayed entry and we, we ended up getting 46 men in our trial and we actually came up with a 70% um impact which compares to 30 to 40 percent for any other treatment for any disease we're going to make a little bit of a focus um uh, this month of penile health and penile problems but basically we stumbled across something that didn't have any research behind it that was what we call a random control trial we produced a random control trial and we now have a paper published in the um journal of rehabilitation therapy in august 2020 based on a you paul and mm. that very founding a situation so you've greatly contributed to uh, men's health as a, a personal experience yes yes we don't get you you were willing to try something different so like you didn't know if it was going to work i didn't <laughs> i didn't and i have to say i spent actually three years getting up at 5 a.m ultrasounding penises not knowing <laughs> if it would work and i remember distinctly one day driving to work at five in the morning thinking i must be the only stupid idiot physiotherapist in the whole world right now getting up to ultrasound men's penises over and over and over when I don't even know if it's going to work and I'm not even getting paid one cent for it (laughs) like what am I doing like but I just kept seeing in my mind the I suppose the comfort that um, Paul had back in his skin again following our 
opportunity. Yeah. I think yeah. so. I think that because we got results fairly quickly. We it, did. It, we, it was like each, you know, as, as soon as that first therapy, like it, it was straight after therapy, like it, it, it felt a lot more comfortable. It, so, you know, were you getting erections on your own at that stage? So, can I ask a really personal question? Mm -hmm. Now, do you need any tablets or anything to get an erection, or do they just work on their own now? Um, yeah, I can get an erection on on its own, but yeah, yeah I do. I do take a tablet. It's better with a tablet. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And is it a painful? Sorry, Joe. Painful? No. No. Great. No. Fantastic. I I actually feel this is my clinical observation that in a younger patient, because I actually worked out it was five months before he started actually having injections between. Um, the onset just from the notes. I think that the longer that we delay getting the blood flow in, so starting the pump earlier, I think it actually probably helps the tissue not um, atrophy and not sort of seize up. So when you haven't had a full erection for five months and you suddenly blast it with a dose of injection, then it's just too much. Yeah. Well, the way I think about it when I talk to patients about it now is, you know, if you don't do quad exercises or any squats for six months and then was, you suddenly go to the gym and do it, it hurts. I, I, was, I was just going to say that, yeah. Yeah, because it hasn't yeah because it hasn't been worked for so long and then all of a sudden just be stretched to its absolute limit. Yeah. Which, you, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. So, yeah, you just, know, that's why I think if, if you had been using a pump from well, the outset, see, then it would have been used to that stretching and extending and then you could have graduated on yeah, rather exactly. than just straight Because when you're using the pump as well, it's not as if you pump it and you you, no. you create a huge vacuum. Yeah, I mean, you can just use the pump to, to get a gentle yes. sort of a stretch and then then just, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, so you're not... You're not forcing the issue. And it's the same. You go to the mm -hmm. gym and you're lifting weights. You don't start off on 25 kilos, do you? You start no, off on one kilo up. and yeah. you warm up. You warm up. Whereas you're just, you know, going... <laughs> well, um, maybe boys start on 50 kilos. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> if you go straight straight for a heavy-duty injection and you haven't kept things moving along, yeah. then you're yeah. just going from... like It's like lifting a 25 kilo on the first day. Mm. So, yep. so this is where things have actually changed. Again, from 2014 to 2020... Melissa, if you had a, a new ideal patient of um, Paul's age coming in at 45 years of age, what, where would you start with him? So ideally, I'd like to see him preoperatively mm -hmm. if he was a prostate cancer patient and I would explain all this to you and I would teach you how to use a pump before you even had the surgery because I think it's much nicer to come in at a month post-op and already have seen that, not have the shock of, mm. oh, my God, I've got to take that contraption home and put that on yeah, my penis. Yeah. So I think that just you know, kind of stops the shock factor. And then I would like to, st I would give you a prescription pre-op and tell you to start taking it day three that you post-operatively because the, the, the new research says mm. day three post-op is the best time to start taking Cialis or um, Viagra. Hang on a minute. I'm a bit worried you've got a catheter in. Yes, and this new research still says that. And I've actually proved that with a couple of urologists in Western Australia who are happy with that. Well, interestingly, I've had about four patients that have rung me in the middle of the night because I know. they've actually had the catheter they've actually had nocturnal erections with without the without Cialis I know and I've seen that too but okay. the new research says day three and to be honest I'm a bit scared about that so I've still been telling people the day the catheter comes out just in yeah. case yeah. but yeah. the research does say that the best most optimum time to start it is day three post-surgery then I would see you at a month post-op and I'd get you to start using a pump every second day because yeah. I think that gets it moving. And then I think injections are a great thing if you take it slow, you start off really small and then you go gradually. Mm. And with I'd, the bigger and bigger doses, yes, you mean. Yes, so you start off with a very, very small dose, 
probably just get a tiny little semi-erection and then you increase it until you get a good one. And I think yeah. it works well like that. And I think it works well if you've been using a pump because it's not this nothing to everything. And it's yeah. already yeah. had that gentle stretch, as you say, Paul. Yeah, yeah, mm. I think. And I think it's really important. It's like, it's just like, I just think of injections and penis pump and the tablets as taking your penis to the gym. And you wouldn't take your penis to the gym and suddenly do a marathon. You'd wheel them up. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's yeah. yeah. what it's about. So, yeah. so we're really um, promoting exercise. I'm promoting pelvic floor exercise before surgery. We're promoting um, the use of the penile pump immediately post-op once your general tenderness is gone within four weeks. You're continuing your pelvic floor exercises throughout. And that's because in my research I undercovered that one in six men after radical prostatectomy unfortunately develop Peyronie's disease or that curvature. And that's because retrospectively we weren't doing all of these things early enough. And you had like that four or five month gap. And today that's a preventable situation. We, we would hope that, you know, 15% of men don't end up with Peyronie's following um, prostatectomy now because we're so much better at understanding. And unfortunately in medicine, as things change, it takes a little while to work out things that might not be positive outcomes, but then if we can understand what's going on and imaging and things like that improve, then we have much better um, coping and um, rehabilitation strategies. Which brings me to one final little question I want to ask you. I have the opportunity to work with a focal shockwave therapy machine for Peyronie's disease so that in my results we showed that 70% of patients did actually improve um, but there was a certain percent, about 30%, that didn't. And this was largely because those cl um, clumps of um, plaque or calcification had been there longer. In fact, one of the members of my trial had been there for 13 years, and I've since met men who've had it for 40, 50 years plus. So you can't use ultrasound to break up the plaque, but you can use this new shockwave therapy, which was literally based on kidney stones bl being blasted. The technology has then evolved to do something called um, low intensity focal shockwave therapy and because Paul I've wanted to continue working with you and you're, you're basically my litmus test of my first therapeutic ultrasound um, you're, you're my guinea pig <laughs> and uh, most recently we actually had a six month gap because you were in COVID time working up north yep. and you came back to see me and you said Joe, can I have a little bit more ultrasound because, do you remember why you said so? Just feel, I think it's just feeling restricted yeah, it was, yeah, I just felt like it. So the, the, the blood mm. flow was a bit tight, you said to me. So yep. I said, actually, I've got a new new surprise for you. <laughs> and what did you think when I said, hey, let's try and um, use a little bit of a pricking sensation here? <laughs> I didn't know what to think. It was just <laughs> like, <laughs> Was this the shockwave? This is the yeah, shockwave. So I you call were, it the prick so machine. We'll, we'll use electric shocks. And I thought. And you thought, I'm shocked. Uh, um, hey, you know what? The ultrasound worked. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do? We applied, we applied the shockwave shock therapy. Wave. It's 3,000 shocks on the protocol of the machine. And mm. what I'd like you to do is just describe what you recall, because you only, we only did this um, a couple of weeks ago for the first time, yep. um, what, what it felt like and what the response was. And Melissa might have some questions on it. Um, the, the, the actual electric shocks, they, they just... That it doesn't. It feels like more of a, a little bit of a pinch. It's yep. not a you know hair raising shock shock. Okay. It's just like a little. Just feels like a, a bit of a, a tapping. Yep. And yeah, and then basically afterwards, afterwards it, it um 
felt a lot more a lot more relaxed. A lot more. How did that compare to the ultrasound? Do you think? Yeah, more relaxed. More yeah, relaxed. More relaxed. But then probably probably more than more than that after that, it felt more active. So can I yeah. ask a question? Yep. Was it arousing? No. Okay. No. No. It's it's what it, it's what it's kind of strange because where you do the electric shock, you get referred pain. Uh-huh. So it's nerve, it's it, nerve it, stimulation. Yeah, so it's you get referred pain, yeah. Mm. And when you yep. say pain, you mean when I was doing the shockwave, you were feeling pain elsewhere yeah. away from that area? Yes. Do you yep. remember where that was? It was right upside of the penis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems to be right where you come you get because when you move you get like spots which are more sensitive than the other spots. Okay. It's, so I asked yep. you to actually go home and record what what you um, felt and you actually mm. said Hitting the nerve really has made everything feel much more alive, uh, and more excitable, and everything has a really soothing warmth. Yeah. So that was what you meant by that blood yeah. flow was better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So these days, um, the ultrasound therapy I find is really appropriate, particularly when men have pain and discomfort. And if we actually do the shockwave therapy initially when there's pain, especially if there's been like a coital fracture or a sexual injury and, or bruising, the, the shockwave is really too strong. But once we calm that inflammation down with the ultrasound, I'm actually finding the shockwave is a really effective way to, again, technology improving, help everything progress more quickly. We, we don't have the research established just yet, um, but it is developing and we're, we're actually using um, pill, Paul, um, Paul once again, um, to... Um, give us feedback and, and learn a little bit more about whether or not we're going to be able to help with this into the future. Can I ask one last question? Because mm-hmm. um, Just wondering, how do you, did it feel awkward the first time that you went and saw Joe and you thought, here's this unusual, you know, diff- not unusual, not that saying Joe's unusual, but a I'm different woman, not my long-term yep. partner, yep. who's, you know, going to, I've got to put my old fella out and let her... Yeah, mate, wave a magic wand it up and a down. Ten, it's a ten-minute yeah. treatment. With yeah, so yeah. you know, is, was that an awkward experience or um, was it okay? Yeah, you do feel vulnerable. Yeah, you feel very vulnerable. Yes, because I mean, it's not as if you, you, you've you're getting out of pants that works. No. Do Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it is very. You do feel very, very vulnerable. Yes, it's. And how do you think you would feel? Do you think you'd feel? Because I have a lot of patients tell me that they feel much more comfortable telling a woman that their penis isn't mm-hmm. working properly than they would another man. Yeah. Do you feel that way, or do you think it was harder to tell a woman um, what was going on? No, I think I was just very lucky. As I've just always felt very comfortable with Joe. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Like. And yeah. my husband actually yeah. provided ultrasound, and yes. he's a physiotherapist as yes. well. Just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he saw you for two or three sessions because yes. um, I was doing a little bit of travelling. Do, do you remember if that was more difficult yeah. oh, look, on yeah, the receiving it, end of physiotherapy? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yep. it, it was uncomfortable. But I think it's probably more uncomfortable because it's another person more, yeah. than, more than anything. Yeah, so the do, gender do, do, isn't really do, the issue. Yeah, it's yeah. more, yeah, it's someone else. Here we go else. again with a different It's someone place. else that you're exposing yourself to. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, not the, it's not the normal thing to kind of go somewhere and... Yeah. I think let, you're let extremely someone... brave just letting coming and letting Joe practice on you, to be honest. But look at all the great things you've done for all these other men with a banana penis by letting her practice on you. And, and talking about banana penis, in yoga, oh, there is a pose called the banana asana. And, <laughs> and Paul has very much embraced yoga. And I'd like you just to share with us what yoga does for you because you've become one of 
my regular yogi attendees. I, I go to yoga twice a week. You do? Yes. <laughs> Tell us what oh, yoga did love, for you. I love yoga. I absolutely love yoga. Yeah. It's just, um, it's just such a peaceful place. Mm. It, is, it really is a peaceful place. And other things too, like working construction, you know, I have, I have lower back problems and I'm always, you, you know, straining and, but yeah, yoga is absolutely brilliant. Just, 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 I don't know, getting in touch with yourself, mm. just having that time out and, yeah. We could bring that song in right now. Mm. Which one? Uh, by uh, The Divinals. Touch Myself. <laughs> I thought you were going to start singing Roger Ramjet or something. And also, the Divinals have a few, no, they have a few songs like, it's a fine line between pleasure and pain. Yes. And I bet that's how you felt, having the um, the needles, the, the shockwave, the the everything. Sh- I'm sorry yeah. for what I've done to you, Paul. Even yoga, this. even yoga, yoga is pleasure and pain. <laughs> yeah, so true. So true. Well, Paul, I just want to say thank you so much because um, you have donated your anatomy to science while still being alive, and that's a rare thing. That's a good move, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you've been an absolute trooper all the way through, and uh, I know that these sort of conversations are not the easiest. Um, but I'm going to say namaste. 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 <laughs> thank you so much, Paul, Great. for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight, so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. Smoking bark in a cubby up a tree Try to ignore